You're listening to Rock Solid People, a podcast by Max King. The harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. So welcome to Rock Solid People. This is a podcast where me, my, Max King, I, I interview individuals that I find uh, interesting uh, in the disability space. And today I'm very pleased to have with me Elisa James, the CEO of Plan Tracker. Are you still CEO of Plan Tracker? I'm, I'm not sure. And we'll get into the guts of why I've asked that question shortly. But are you still the CEO of Plan Tracker? Well, that's a very good question. I am for another six or seven weeks. Well, then we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> no, not we'll quite. see what happens. And for those people that don't know some exciting news for Plan Tracker, we'll get into that shortly. But what I'd really like to know, Lisa, is, is you, you and your story and your background. It's an uncommon event to see uh, an individual, a female running a tech business, not as uncommon as it used to be. I'm really excited that uh, you have been one of the shining success stories of the NDIS and from a tech perspective. I'm keen to hear your background and how you came to set up Plan Tracker. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's certainly, um, I, I didn't start out in life with a plan to start a tech company and a plan management company in the disability sector, but life has funny ways of of taking you down a path. So I've always loved tech. I was one of those kids who, you know, programming on Apple Apple Basic way back in the day. Wow. And yeah, all back those in the things. day. Back in the day. And I've loved tech all the way through. But I went off and did a, a social work degree of all things, which I was very badly suited to. So I, uh, <laughs> shortly after <laughs> finishing that, living in Perth, ended up moving back across to Sydney where I went and did some adult ed, the multimedia actually, online multimedia, which was a very new thing, very learning new. how to help technology for training people. Yep. And at the same time moved into the technology sector, running a, a training company for software training, okay. um, all sorts of things, Apple, IBM, the whole lot. So after that, I started running a tech company that had established looking after retail leases. So the big Coles Myers and others of the world who lease all their space. Yep. And I went in and, and fairly quickly ended up actually running the organization. And that was a pretty phenomenal few years, well, five or six mm-hmm. years there. So my love of technology just continued. And for me, it's always about that sweet spot between technology serving people. So if you can do things in a way that makes technology work for people and just helps people do their best, then that's that's the sweet spot. So moved to London 20 years ago, spent 10 years there, also helped start a tech company over there and doing some uh, first cloud-based kind of work in the not-for-profit sector, looking at CRMs and other things in that space. And when I moved back to Australia about 10 years ago, by that point, we had three kids and um, it was pretty obvious that my middle child wasn't really managing with life particularly well. Yep. And we spent probably the first six years of being back really was just very tough. There's there's no other words for it. It took us a long time to, to figure out that he was autistic as well as some, some other things going on. He's a very, very bright kid. Sometimes that that tortured soul comes out quite strongly. So I spent about six years just, he was seven and growing through all of those years and 
you know, getting expelled from school in year two almost and falling in and out of schooling through most of primary and, and hitting high school. And it used to frustrate me no end because I think, gee, I have a lot to offer, you know, I like, but there's no way I could have a job. I, I wouldn't last a week with just the demands of my life. My life yep. was very much not my own, and, and which I chose to, to make that choice there. Yep. And I just kept thinking, oh, at some point I'd like to do something in business and I really want to make sure that whatever I do, there's a place for people like me who it might be difficult to contribute in a traditional nine-to-five approach. There might be a bit more flexibility needed, but gee, wouldn't that be great to tap into these incredible resources? There must be thousands of people in similar situation to me you know, around the country. So lo and behold, the NDIS started to come about. 2015, I um, heard about the NDIS and I thought, oh, look, I don't think it'll be for us. Really? You know? Wow. Yeah. We, disability help at that point had been so difficult. Yeah. You know, we had a respite package that the company who had it could never tell me how much it was worth or what we could access. And, and they were literally like, you just need to book two hours once a week on this day. I'm like, that doesn't work for my life. <laughs> no, I want help in um, school holidays. And yeah, yeah. And they were like, well, sorry, you're, our team are not available in school holidays. They're off doing <laughs> They're day programs. <laughs> They're looking right. their own kids. <laughs> They're running day programs. And, and I was like, I don't actually even like your team. I don't want to leave my child with your team. Like, this is, you know, it just didn't work. So I really was a bit dubious about the NDIS. Wow, yeah. But I came I came back from that information day, absolutely changed my thinking. Wow. And what changed for me was that I suddenly saw that if you were in control of your own funding, if you could make your own decisions, if you could choose your own team, if you could choose when and how you connected with them, that it would be absolutely life-changing. So NDIS hadn't rolled out yet, but I immediately looked around in my world and thought, right, who can I find? Who's a teenager that I can find that can come and help my son leave his bedroom? Because at that point, I think he'd been refusing to leave his bedroom other than to get yeah. to school for a good couple of years. Just, you know, leaving the house was hard. Coming downstairs and interacting with family was hard. Everything was just hard. So we, um, so I ended up paying a kid to come along once a week and play Xbox. Yeah. And we we slowly moved him from the bedroom to the playroom to downstairs for bottle flipping and eventually outside in the backyard to have a swim uh, over the course of about 12 months, which was fantastic and just inspired me to be, okay, we need to have supports that work and actually engage with him, not just, you know, thing, things that just aren't working for us. So NDIS came along and in the meantime, I'd been thinking, how do we self-manage? because that was really all I knew about at that point. I said, well, self-management's got to be the way to go. How will I stay on track of what I'm doing? How will I make sure I don't overspend? How will I make sure I, I budget out properly? Australians are kind of notoriously bad at budgeting. You know, it's, <laughs> how many people really have a family budget and stick to it? You know, I think, I think the stats are not that great. No. So I thought, how do we make, how do I make, help make this easier for other people? If this is an issue I've got, you know, how can we do this? So, of course, you know, as they say, there must be an app for that. So, yep. I went looking. And, of course, there wasn't an app for that. So, Plan Tracker was born. 
and uh, developed a self-management app, which um, was released about August 2017. So that's pretty much how we got started. Wow. And just for those who don't know, the self-management app, like you mentioned, obviously keeps you in track and it gives you that. What's what's the, not the elevator pitch necessarily, but what's one of the functionality, the key functionality that listeners might want to know about it? Yeah, look, I'm a big believer in in just keeping technology simple and making it useful. So you can have something that does the bells and whistles, but at the end of the day, if you can have an app that you can very quickly check where's my balance up to, have it, do I need to pay any bills? Are there any things I need to claim? That's a huge advantage. So for me, for example, I had one night I was thinking about my son being involved in youth group. And I thought, oh, I wonder if I could find somebody to help him be a bit more involved. He's been attending, but he stands in the corner and just we can't just break. We're just not breaking those barriers. It's just not working. So immediately I could just grab the app out, had a look, threw it in, youth group once a week, $60 or $75 or whatever I thought it might cost me for the hour and a half. And it quickly tells me, yep, actually, you've got enough in there. You've got, you'll have a little bit left over in that budget for the end of the plan. Yep. Good to go. And so that's pretty much what it does. Yep. It just lets you do some of that admin piece yep. as well as that on the fly, you know, can I spend money on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I've got two other questions that have just come out of what you've been saying. And thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's a it's a very personal journey that you've been on. My, my question for you would be that, you know, say you had come, your son had come 10 years later, let's just say you were 10 years later. Would the NDIS have been in a much stronger position to have helped you and your family with the diagnosis and treatment and solutions and supports for your son? Do you think that there has been a seismic shift? I think there probably has. What what I found interesting in our diagnosis journey, and in fact, I have two girls as well who have both been diagnosed with autism um, in subsequent years. You'd think I'd get good at picking it, but... No. So, (laughs) you know, they're not the most, yeah, obvious, I think, sometimes young women. But look, I think there's been an increasing community awareness of disability, not just autism, but many disabilities. And I just love the fact that we see more people in our community with disability now um, than I ever remember as a child. And I think there's there's a much greater awareness. Would it have been helpful if people who had already thought, it was really obvious to them back in the day, had, had made it a bit clearer to me, probably. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't listening. It's hard to know. I hope I've gotten better at listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's that old adage, isn't it? My son had identified the car driving towards us the other day, had his lights on, and all of a sudden we were talking about European cars have lights on or it may have been Japanese cars or whatever the conversation was. And next thing you know, we've seen cars with lights on everywhere. It's almost like yeah. bringing that attention and awareness to it. But I think I think you're right. I think the community has embraced, and, and so it should do. You know, prevalence of individuals—they're not hidden away or kept, you know, in in isolation. Or all those sort of day programs are inclusive now. They're coming out into the community. That's exactly what we want, mm. uh, rather than it being. Yeah, sort of, look, I think we've still got a long way to go. Definitely, yeah. but we're on the right track, and and you know, uh, that that's the part that excites me. And, and I think is why I'm still, not still, but why I am so passionate about the NDIS and so passionate about making sure that we as a community end up with a scheme that actually serves our community. I want to know that when I'm no longer here, yeah. that 
my son is going to be able to access the supports he needs to and that others can still access those supports. You know, and as a parent, those, those years come around pretty quickly. So, Yeah. And look, there's a whole conversation we can have about scheme sustainability, but I've actually got a technical question that I'd like to ask you. Uh, I, I personally was quite excited when the API came out. Uh-huh. And I'm just curious, as plan tracker, have you managed to navigate the idiosyncrasies of the NDIS API? And are you current or are you currently under engaged in, in a conversation with them? We found it incredibly difficult and challenging to, to access API to uh, and I've not got a technical background. So my hurdles came up when I started just downloading the, the, the documents you needed to complete. I struggled with that. So I, I've sort of parked that. But I'm curious, as someone like yourself with a tech background, how, how have you found and, and how are you currently engaging with the NDIS API? Yeah, look, it's a really great question. For those that are not quite sure what an API is, that's the ability for two computer systems to talk to each other. So instead of having to download a, a file like we do right now to make our claim and upload it, and then wait to download a file and then physically have somebody sit there and upload it, it means it can happen pretty automatically, which is one of my favorite words. Automatically, I do like that. (laughs) (laughs) Having a lot of experience in tech, I actually chose not to rush into this space. Uh, And the reason for that was because when things are brand new and knowing how tricky the back-end NDIS system is to operate – I just was dubious as to how quickly the quality of the API would be there. And you need to invest when you're, when you're building technology. We use APIs all the time in yeah. our business, in all sorts of spaces. But the NDIS API, we kept putting on the back burner, mainly for a couple of reasons. One, we were quite busy doing other things yeah. that I'm excited about and bringing out a support coordination portal and a few other things like that. But mainly because we knew in keeping in touch with with the team and with others who are in the same boat, that the quality just wasn't there yet. It's still not quite there. No. The, the speed is not there. There's just not quite – you just need a bigger, fatter pipe. They need to allow more calls to the API. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it's look, it will come, and we know that. So I figured I would just let everybody else, uh, all the keen ones, do a bit of pain, yeah. and then when it was ready to go, actually then at that point it should be should be pretty reasonable. But we've actually just started working on it in the last week. so. Well, that's exciting. And I hope that you have, I mean, we've been working with an, an organization called Care Access. They actually are specifically designed towards helping plan managers and support coordinators mm-hmm. access the API. They're an awesome organization, but we have, I mean, they're, they're basically getting, yeah, 40% of what we need to make it viable. And obviously, they're putting yeah. a lot of time and effort into to making this work. And I was curious as to whether you might have had more success, but uh, and good luck <laughs> with your current projects. And I guess that neatly brings us on to ups and downs that you've experienced in establishing a tech business, whether it's in the NDIS or not, but I'm going to ask you specifically about Plan Tracker, obviously, the ups and downs you've experienced and any advice you might have for budding tech entrepreneurs. I think the hardest part about this sector is that there are still so many unknowns. So when I started back in 2016, obviously, you know, nobody quite understood how self-management worked at that point. And plan management was, you know, yes, it had been around in trial, but Again, the number of changes that have happened in that space has been huge. So when I started to obviously do our our research and development and read everything we could and talk to people, people just didn't know. And at the time, there was nothing like what we built. So when you tried to ask them about what they might need, 
they really had no idea about mm. what they might need. So that was tricky. We registered for plan management very, very early and just did that very quietly on the side as a bit of a, if you are a budding entrepreneur, I recommend you read The Lean Startup. It's yep. an excellent book. It just really helps you to think about what's important, testing your ideas um, all the way through and not building on assumption. So one of the things I've just learned in my career, I guess, is about any technology when you build it, if you hard code information in. So if you if you say, well, we think that the NDIS budgets are never going to change. And so you build a structure that only allows for it to ever look like that. Yep. Then the minute that the NDIS comes out and says, oh, we're going to do it differently or we're going to let you have flexibility in core or we're going to whatever it is, then it means that you have to go back and rebuild and that's expensive. So one of my things I guess I've always tried to do and we still do is very much look for universal solutions, solutions that work for what's needed now but but build in the flexibility so that when we get to fixed and flexible budgets, that's not going to be a hard thing for plan tracker to take care of. That's yeah. already accounted for, but, you know, in both back-end systems um, in our app and app. But, yeah, I think building in, trying to just build things in a flexible way so that you've got more flexibility as things change makes the world of difference. Sure. Yeah. Solid advice. And, and yes, we do know the landscape changes in the NDIS <laughs> quickly, <laughs> swiftly, and not often, or often without, I guess, what we would consider to be proper due thought and process around what the consequences are. Notable for the uh, the change in support coordination at the end of uh, February there with three days notice. Um, absolutely shocking decision. And I guess probably might just ask you about that. Obviously, your role in the DIA, for those who don't know, the disability intermediaries, Australia. I always say association, but I think it's Australia. I always get this. <laughs> Australia. They are the big body that represents the intermediaries, the plan managers and support coordinators out there. You are on the board. Thank you very much. I'd like to say a big thank you for everybody that, that uh, puts their time and effort into the DIA because we feel very warmly supported by you. And it's an important facet, I guess, to have that. But your role at the DIA and what what uh, what you see the DIA is and what it stands for and what the challenges are in the intermediary space. Yeah, so I'm actually a founding member for DIA. Congratulations! Back in 2018, well, January 2018, I decided I made a decision. We'd had our app out in the previous year, and we'd been plan managing, but very much on the on the the side while we were focused on getting our self management app out the door. Yep. And so I launched plan management properly late January 2018 and it very quickly became apparent that our sector was just in, as all as often new sectors are, it was in a bit of a schmozzle and there was a whole variety of people trying to understand how does this work? I think there was like four lines of information about plan management from the agency. Here's a whole new sector with no clear direction of yeah. what this is, how it needs to operate, and no clear mechanisms for feedback to the agency. Those who were larger had stronger voices and were able to go direct, but you know, small organizations like ours just getting off the ground, we didn't have that voice. And so I banded together with a few others and we said, I think it's about October, we said, all right, let's do this. And it was interesting at the time because it was somebody else, I can't even remember who it was to this day, 
who was invited to be a part of it and they said, oh, do you know what? I'm just too busy. And I thought, oh, my gosh, my life at that point, my husband who had worked away from home and was still working away from home at that point, Monday to Friday doing, he's a, a technology person as well. Yeah. So he wasn't home midweek. I had three kids, one with significant disability and challenges of making it through each day. And I just thought, I don't really need to add founding a peak body to my plate right now. (laughs) But (laughs) if we don't get this right as a sector, then there won't be intermediaries. It's it, to me, it was it was as black and white as that. We have to have a thriving, healthy intermediary sector. That's a really good thing for participants. And the reason it's a good thing for participants is because if you don't have independence, and that's what intermediaries should be, they should be that independent role. If you don't have independence, then there's nobody there whose primary purpose is to represent that individual. I mean, obviously, there's families and there's advocacy, but Often under block funding, what we saw is that individuals would have all of their funding held by an organisation and all their services provided by that same organisation. And remember in 2018, that mind shift was still very much happening from welfare mentality, block funding to individualised funding and the thought that participants and families could actually operate as consumers. One of the things I love about the NDIA the heart behind it is really that concept that every individual should be able to contribute socially and to participate socially and economically within our community. And the NDIS actually allows people to do that in terms of you can now be a consumer. You know, you can choose. If I'm not happy with my service here, I can swap and change to a different service provider. If I want to have a variety of providers, I can have a variety of providers. You know, if I want to buy my consumables from three different places, I can do that. And so it's really important that intermediaries like plan managers, support coordinators are there to provide that independent voice, that independent support for people. Otherwise, we can end up very quickly back in a situation where people are accessing all their supports from from one provider. Although wouldn't there still be some uh, level of accusation against that? This sort of 80-20 rule, it seems that 80% of funding goes to the 20% of the biggest providers. Is, that, is there still some, some truth and value in that? I think there's a, it's a period of time bringing out any new scheme. And, you know, it's a little bit like leading edge, bleeding edge sometimes, isn't it? it it's, it's definitely a, a space that we have to represent well and we have to say and help explain to people that actually support coordinators and plan managers should be part of somebody's team. That's how we should see the role. It's a professional services type role that people purchase. They purchase plan management from their funding. They purchase support coordination from their funding. So they should expect a certain level of or a high level of service. They should expect value for money. They should expect that that service is there representing their needs. So I think there's a you know, over time, we've seen um, plan management grow. Yep. It's increased dramatically since we've become involved back in 2017. And I think there's very much, we're down to now, I think it's 20% of people's plans are fully agency managed at this point, yep. which is which is really good news. I'm a bit passionate about self-direction. So, you know, whether you choose to, to have your funds plan managed or you choose to have them self-managed, as long as you're able and in control to make your decisions, 
um, and to be able to, as the export, expert in your own life or your, your loved one's life, make your, your own decisions, I think that's really, really important. Yeah. And that neatly does dovetail into the idea of continuing independence for the sector of intermediaries, support coordinators and plan managers. We often have a lot of people speculating about what the future has in hold. And, and that, whilst you don't know, I'm assuming, any more than anyone else do, the crystal ball, if, if a laser James was looking into it, what, what, is the, uh, what is the future holding for that independence? And, and is, will there be support coordinators and plan managers separated? Will, will the intermediaries be isolated from other organizations? Is it Chinese walls? What's, what sorts the future hold for the independence? Oh, look, it's a really good question. One of the pieces of work that, that really was a catalyst for getting DIA started was to do, to do a piece of work around sector standards to say, let's, as a sector, let's not wait for the agency to determine what this service looks like. Let's actually get that feedback from our community, from our customers, and through that, let's do a piece of work on sector standards that says, these are the standards that you know, the minimum and the high standards that we'd expect um, in each of those two two areas. I personally think there's no issue with a plan manager also offering support coordination or vice versa, so an organisation doing both. I think if you are going to access those services through a provider who also provides other services, then it's better to get your other services from somewhere else mm. because you do lose the independence and... Uh, I've seen a, a, you know, a lot of examples where the Chinese wall really isn't very much of a wall at all. So, no, and look, I mean, we have we have uh, in the Southern Highlands where we're from, we have uh, some some very clear examples of where that independence is being abused. You know, it, it's really it's really a shocking state mm-hmm. of affairs, uh, and we feel very very strongly that, that you know something should be done about it. But again, it's, you know, it's also their choice. So at this stage, we have to you know, and it's. We, you know, we, we take on lots of fights that we, we try and fight. But <laughs> sometimes you have to pick and choose them, which is it's also what you've done. You've pick and chosen, of, to, well, you say six or eight weeks left of CEO of, of Plan Tracker and uh, taking the extraordinary decision to join Plan Partners. Tell us about that and what you see as the benefits of joining a, an organization, a large organization like Plan Partners. Yeah. So, look, it's certainly... It's an interesting one because if you'd asked me back in January of this year, would we be, you know, coming in under plan partners in July, I'd have just said, are you serious? <laughs> but actually, I got to about February and uh, a, a few things happened and I, I was really just mulling over this idea as I, I, I'm always one of those can I map the future type people. I like to look forward. It's uh, strategy is kind of one of my my bent, I guess. And I looked forward and I just thought, okay, what do I think is happening within the plan management sector? What will it look like in three years' time? What will it look like in five years' time? And what do I need to do for Plan Tracker to make sure that we're we're right up there in the top of, you know, in in the top list at that point? I think they've at last, I'm not sure of the latest figures, but only about a, a year ago, we already we had like 950 active plan managers in the, across the country. We all know that's way too many. Yeah, we know that it's know, not sustainable. It's it's not it's not profitable for a lot of them, and a lot of them have got into it for the wrong reasons, I believe. But yeah, exactly, that's right. And you know, as those roles grow, I know from my own experience, you could start out as an individual trying to do that type of thing, and unless you've 
you've got good technology and um, and good scalability behind you, then you might be all right at 70 with one of you, one person, but it very quickly the wheels fall off and it doesn't take too much more than that to, you know, into the low hundreds and and suddenly you're struggling to, to get the work done and you're struggling to actually provide the service that, yeah. that people need and, and will expect. You know, I think there'll be a – I think there's been a – a big difference in the service provided by plan managers now than there was back in, say, 2018. Uh, the expectations are much, much higher. So, you know, being able to keep up with that's a really, really important thing when you think about servicing customers. Uh, so, for me, I looked at it and I thought, well, look, I think that in that time, there's going to be a lot of consolidation. I also think that the agency's been really clear to indicate about their desire to put in real-time claims and payments. What impact is that going to have on plan management? I don't think that's actually going to do away with plan management at all. I think plan managers actually will play a really key role in that space. And I think they'll play a really key role when it comes to all the things that don't fit nice and neatly on, as developers like to call them, the easy path, of which there are truckloads in our sector, you know, (laughs) because rightly so. We don't have a shopping list of can I, can't I spend money on this? And that's a that's a really, really important thing. So I looked at it and I thought, oh, I think we're going to really need to, to up our game with our technology. And without sounding arrogant, our technology is really good. You know, we've yeah. invested heavily in tech. Our back-end systems are really efficient. You know, we've plan trackers growing really nicely. We haven't compromised our service for our growth at any point. That's been a really important thing for us. And so through that, I looked at it and I thought, oh, I know what that tech investment is going to look like because I can, you know, sort of see where that path needs to lead. And I thought, oh, do I want to do that? Do I want to do that entirely, you know, on our own or should we partner with somebody to do that? And then for me, the obvious thing was actually this would be a really good time rather than waiting 12 months, 24 months, and then looking to do that, actually now's the time. So that larger organization can be in a much stronger position in that time frame and ready to deliver, whether it's still within just the disability sector or whether aged care has moved across into a more self-directed space, which, you know, I think would be a very good thing in that space. And so we had always, well, ever since like 2017, we'd had lots of reach outs on a fairly regular basis around, you know, can we be involved? Can we invest in Plan Tracker? Can we buy Plan Tracker? And I'd always said, no, not ready. Don't don't come and talk to me yet. I'm not ready. So went back out to the market and was also having reach outs at the time. And through that process, for us, when I looked at it, Plan Partners was just a great fit. They're very, very, very savvy when it comes to their technology and their systems and their processes. They've got great people. They're really passionate about making a difference in this space. They're very keen to run the plan tracker business as the plan tracker business and keep, you know, expand what plan tracker is doing, which, you know, looking after our people has always been very, very high on, yeah. on my list. I think as a CEO, I think that's probably one of the most important things you do is look after your people. And so for that reason, we said, yes, let's make this happen. So. It's been a fantastic transition so far. The two teams are working really well together, leveraging off each other already and and just learning a lot. It's been really great. 
Yeah, well, that's fantastic. And as you as you say, you know, looking after your people so important. You know, the, the team have bought into you and your vision for Plan Tracker, and, and to sell them uh, that there's been a sort of fundamental shift, and and for them to continue to grow as part of a bigger organization. You know, fantastic. What a story! And and I wish you all the best. I'm, I'm just going to ask you a quick question because I'm really curious about it myself. That discussion about real time payments and the and the role of a plan manager. How does that actually look? From a from the perspective, of it, like what, what are they expecting? A, a sort of debit card, a Medicare card? Is that is that your take on the technology that will be applied? And is that going to be at a scheme level, or is that introduced by a plan manager level? Uh, I've had various different conversations with various different people, and lots of different <laughs> scenarios have been sort of thrown and floated around. What's your take on where that will and how that will look? My first take is that who knows quite where where it will actually end up. <laughs> because what's logical isn't always what happens. I think what we've seen is the Services New South Wales model of having a one-stop shop is a very popular model with our current government. And when we think about the digitisation of of government services, we hear a lot of rhetoric around it it sounding all very easy and lots of of nice sound bites. I think the reality on the ground is very different And I think that's why plan management is something, you know, we'll be here for a long, long time because plan managers just provide so much more than simple invoice processing. But as to how it looks, uh, there's nothing set in stone at this point. Well, you know, I I, I don't think there's been any, anybody uh, actually won any tenders at this point to, to move it forward. I know the agencies have been out to market and said, hey, who's got an off the shelf package that does this? Which of course, you know, nobody is nobody a simple does, answer. No. Yeah, uh, because it doesn't exist, and because a lot of the the way of working is is quite complex with the, who the relationships and how they fit together and those things. So uh, the answer, simple answer is, I don't know what it looks like, but I do know that it will. You know, when you start to look at those levels, it's it's probably something that you need to be a reasonably sized organisation to handle. You're probably looking at some banking involvement or financial institution involvement. And I just looked at it and thought, I think for me, that gap is too big a gap between where we are today and where I think in three years we can be. I'm a, I'm a bit of a believer in if the sector can solve problems that the agency has, they don't have to look elsewhere. So if the sector can come up with a solution that meets the need, um, and, I, and I really genuinely think the sector can, then that actually makes sense and will take away the need for some, you know, master program. But we'll see. We sure will. <laughs> we sure will. Uh, fascinating answer. And yeah, look, I, I don't know. I don't have the answers either. But um, I wanted to say thank you. It's been a really, really wonderful conversation from the start of your own personal story, uh, right the way through your take on and congratulations on the sale. We we hope that that all works out well for you. And I look forward to you and uh, Plan Partners and the, and the merger just going, going from strength to strength. I have to say, both you and Plan Partners, we've always looked at with uh, a little bit of envy. We think that you guys do a really good job. Not that we don't. We do a good job too in the plan management space. We're happy with where we're at. But look, thank you so much, Elisa James from Plan Tracker. Plan Partners, Plan Tracker. <laughs> That's right. Still Plan Tracker officially. Still Plan Tracker. But, we uh, really appreciate yeah. your uh, your time today. And in fact, uh, for those people who are listening, next week we do have 
planned partners on. So we're very excited. Oh, that, uh, excellent. We will be interviewing and finding out a little bit more, Goss, and his take on as well on where the plan management space is going. But thank you very much in the meantime, Elisa James. That's a pleasure, Max, and thank you. And thanks for cheering us on along the way. It's, uh, it's an important piece of work that you guys do and, and, and we do alongside you. So yeah, thank you. I agree. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Rock Solid People. For more interviews, stay tuned.